This podcast is not for the easily offended, victimhood enthusiasts, or those who take themselves too seriously, namely cyclists, conspiracy theorists, personal trainers, and other fanatics. Your Hobby is Shit is a nerd-free environment which strongly discourages dickheads from listening. Authorised by Sean Woodland for Your Hobby is Shit. Since day dot, humans have invented, inadvertently stumbled across, or tried to discover passions and stuff they're good at by having a go at hobbies. We might use them for pleasure, health, fitness, to combat loneliness, or to distract us from reality, all in the hope we can find meaning in our lives. Hobbies can be bizarre, addictive, psychologically revealing, and sometimes even beyond ridiculous. But, whatever your hobby, chances are, it's at the very least, a little bit shit. So listen in and prepare for your hobby to be exposed. I'm Sean Woodland, host of Your Hobby Is Shit. Welcome listeners, episode 56. God, whoever thought we'd get that far. Uh, The Commonwealth Games have been in the news after I discovered they were on last week. Uh, As is the way in the modern era, it's not so much due to the achievements of the athletes, but more because of their huge egos and the salacious media stories they generate. Apparently there's a love triangle of some sorts uh, between a guy called Kyle Chalmers, someone called Cody Simpson, and someone else called Emma McKeon. To be fair, relationship dramas are much more interesting <laughs> than the Commonwealth Games. Uh, Kyle Chalmers was apparently known as No Drama Chalmers. Well, until this week, when he probably quite rightly kicked off at the Australian media, which is fruit that hangs about as low as social media sewer, isn't it? Quality of journalism in this country. Uh, If you didn't know, Cole Chalmers is a swimmer. At 24 years of age, he's got an Order of Australia medal. So he may as well put the slippers on right now, kick back and get stuck into the steel knocks. I gather he received his Order of Australia for being fast in a pool and not for any great intellectual achievements. I googled his name and one of his Instagram posts popped up. It read, My body is my journal and my tattoos are my journey. Let's see what the next chapter holds. Astounding depth of thought for a man so young, I'm sure you'll agree. Uh, He has a tattoo that's not written in English. It's quite popular among shallow self-help enthusiasts, this practice. Uh, This particular tattoo reads, Only the strong survive, although I think it's in Latin. Uh, He obviously speaks Latin and understands it. Uh, I'm not sure. Only the strong survive. I'm not sure about the veracity of that statement, uh, though Chuck Norris is still alive. Uh, I wonder why he needs to tell us that only the strong survive, particularly as it's an entirely debatable claim, seeing as 109 billion people have already died since we evolved from apes. Surely not all 109 billion of them were weak. Anyway, semantics. Uh, Who's Kyle trying to convince? That's the other thing I want to know. It sort of smacks of the speaking about yourself in the third person or Donald Trump demanding we believe how smart he is. Show, don't tell, boys. Also, that uh, only the strong survive, that sort of statement implies victimhood. What makes Kyle stronger and more of a survivor than the rest of us? Uh, Possibly (laughs) delusion or narcissism. He swims 
in water with no fucking sharks in it. That's not all that difficult, particularly for a biologically gifted Australian who has spent most of his life in a pool. Uh, These are the sort of people who get no regrets tattooed on them. That one's a beauty. Certainly the domain of the stupid. But then again, there's no greater gift than stupidity. I've got regrets every single day. I told my entire entire family and the two dogs to get fucked this morning. (laughs) I regret doing that. Uh, The dogs didn't deserve it. Yes, we've got two dogs at the moment as we're dog-sitting. Luke Heggie's little scoundrel for a month while he gallivants around Europe soaking up the sun. Uh, It's difficult to comprehend how basic yet egocentric you'd have to be to have no regrets tattooed on you. Still, it's not quite as ridiculous as the Carpe Diem tattoo. Uh, It's another Latin one that the morons like to get. It's Latin for seize the day. Were you really seizing the day whilst you were sitting in the chair at a bikey's money laundering establishment being inked by a possible criminal? And it's not for me to bag shit tattoos. I've got plenty of them. Thankfully, none were plagiarised from self-help for dummies. Uh, I used to go from my psychiatrist's appointment straight to the tattooist. Physical pain is a wonderful substitute for mental anguish. I would highly recommend it. So, Cole Chalmers is apparently the big dog of Australian swimming. Some claim to fame that is. Jesus Christ, he's swimming in a 50 metre pool. He's not charging into some animal in the NRL or being punched repeatedly in the face by Tim Zoo. Only a country that is good at swimming could give a fuck about swimming. <laughs> in other people, other countries, people with feet the size of most swimmers would be put in the Ripley's Believe It or Not freak show, not deified as national treasures. It doesn't surprise me all that much that swimmers are as dull as fuck and why several of them substitute the black line of the pool for the white line of Colombian nose candy upon retirement. I swam for exercise once for probably about eight weeks. Holy fuck, I'm not sure I've ever been so bored in my entire life. Anyways, aside of all the other shenanigans and who's rooting who, there's 72 countries competing in this year's Commonwealth Games over 5,000 athletes and 280 events in only 20 sports. I gather that of those 280 events, 250 of them are in swimming backwards, forwards and fucking sideways. I went to my kids' athletics carnival yesterday because I love watching parents encourage uncoordinated children. And from what I can gather, the kids, my kids and other kids at their school, they're at a similar level to the Commonwealth Games. And by that I mean... Australians pitting privileged Australian athletes against luminaries from some countries with a combined GDP that is less than Buddy Franklin's annual salary. Uh, That's like pitting my kids against other children in the long jump, who, from what I can gather after yesterday, had never actually jumped before. Not into a pit, not while standing, just never jumped. Still, if your sense of national pride is enhanced by watching your fellow countrymen thrash poorly resourced and mediocre opponents, then the Commonwealth Games will be on television for, I don't know how long, fucking ages. Having said all that, I watched the women's pole vault this morning with the kids, and I've got to say that I've got nothing but admiration for the pole vaulters. Very courageous. Uh, The pre-competition ritual for the women pole vaulters must be interesting. Uh, From what I was able to ascertain, they must spend a good hour getting into the zone whilst plying on more makeup than a Bondi housewife prior to jumping on the pole. 
Personally, I've never switched on the Commonwealth Games, much less the television at 7 o'clock in the morning thinking, geez, I'm in for a good perv today. But I'll be honest, that all changed this morning. Dave from Adelaide is back, folks. Uh, clearly, his favourite hobby is practical jokes. Uh, the more conservative and humorless listener might call it making a nuisance of himself. Uh, whichever end of the seesaw in which you sit, he's very fucking good at it. Uh, we used to be able to buy fireworks in primary school. Tom Thumbs, Pohars, Bungers, and whatever we wanted. Uh, to think I could purchase stuff in primary school that could now see me spend years in prison. The fucking nanny state and a few lost eyes have prevailed. The joy of dropping a bunger over the fence into a courtyard in the silence of night is one of the unmatched joys of my childhood. Someone called the cops on us once when we were in year 10. Uh, they turned up. And the kid's house we were staying at, ran that kid, he ran away from the cops and stupidly he ran along the road. Idiot. Uh, obviously they got him. Not only did they get him, but when they threw him in the back of the divvy van, they broke his wrist. Uh, to make matters worse, this kid, the ones whose house we were staying at, he was the son of the school principal. So you can imagine what sort of shit we were in. Uh, the nine of us who made it back home and over the fence and into the rumpus room pretending to be asleep. Uh, we got back, but our ruse didn't last long when the principal came charging down the stairs swearing with a couple of cops and a crying kid accompanying him. To be fair to our mate who was crying, we just thought he was being soft and had no idea that the poor bastard's wrist had actually been broken. Anyone who's ever lived properly has had some fun with fireworks and this week the legendary Dave from Adelaide has a story for us and here it is. It's titled Hippies on Fire and Ear Herpings. <laughs> Fuck I love explosives. There's not many feelings quite as good as when you blow some shit up then run like fuck before the cops arrive. If the truth be known though, explosives can be a tad dangerous. That's why my bomb of choice has always been the match bomb. For the uninitiated, to make a standard match bomb, it requires a packet of matches, some scissors and masking tape. You cut out the flint from the side of the matchbox and very fucking carefully put it in the matchbox at the head end. Then you wrap the fucker up into a tight ball with the masking tape and go find some dumb cunt to scare the shit out of. Once the target has been located, you chuck the match bomb on hard ground so it bounces into the victim. About a second after it bounces, boom, your victim will then shit themselves. Fucking brilliant and no shrapnel. One fine day, I decided to make the mother of all match bombs. I took a dozen packets of matches and carefully scraped the gunpowder off every single match into the one box. I left four matches in the box covered in powder and slipped the flint in. Then I wrapped the gun in industrial gaffer tape, none of that pussy masking tape. No, this fucker was going to hold the explosion in for ages and what an explosion it was going to be. Two hours later, I had a bomb the size of a small fucking melon and had used all the gaffer tape. This was an orb of lethal beauty and I gazed lovingly at it. Then practicality struck. How was this thing going to be set off? It had so many layers of tape that just chucking it on the ground probably wouldn't work. And anyway, I sure as shit did not want to be near it when it went off like the proverbial frog in a sock. Then the angel of explosives whispered in my ear, hey dickhead, use a cricket bat. Thank you angel, a cricket bat was a brilliant idea. Five minutes later I stood in my driveway with a cricket bat, 
practicing hitting rocks with it like a baseball bat. I had no intentions of ever being one of those stupid crickets that cricketers dressed in white standing around waiting for nothing to happen in a poor attempt at sport, so wrecking the bat was of no concern. I threw the mother of all match bombs high in the air and belted the fucking Jesus out of it, aiming straight down the driveway. Our driveway had big bushy trees on each side, so you couldn't see any road user until they were right in front of the driveway. The bomb flew straight down the middle, which is when a fucking long-haired hippie appeared on his fucking hippie bicycle. The hippie had long flowing hair, some sort of fucking tie-dyed hemp top and green pants. He was riding some old piece of shit bike, which didn't even have gears. When I spotted this dopey cunt, time slowed down to a crawl. The bomb was about five feet in the air, presumably with the pressure of the explosion, complements of the cricket bat building exponentially. The hippie's stupid bearded face was precisely the same height as the bomb. It looked like the bomb would arrive at the hippie's horizontal location, about a foot in front of the hippie's face. Still holding the cricket bat, I watched in fascination as the bomb lined itself up just in front of the hippie, then detonated. I use the word detonated rather than exploded because it's the only word that gets close to what it did. The sound was significantly louder than a shotgun and the fireball was at least four feet wide engulfing the hippie's entire head. There was also smoke. Lots of smoke. I was locked into a permanent state of fascination combined with horror, elation and fear. I watched the hippie's feet come up out of the smoke sphere at about 10 o'clock position, moving to 2 o'clock. The bike kept going straight, as if it wanted to get the fuck out of there, and the hippie fell backwards onto his back with his long hair on fire. We're not talking about a few flames here either. His whole hair was on fire. This would have been brilliantly entertaining, was it not for his screams, which shook me out of my coma. Obviously, I should help the hippie, given that the poor bastard was on fire. Alternatively, I could just run like fuck. I hesitated for a moment, then ran like fuck. What happened to the hippie, I hear you ask? Well, here is the postscript. I've got no idea. My thinking is that having long hair, a beard, and wearing tie-dyed fashion is on par with a criminal offence. So, being set on fire is a fair and reasonable punishment for said offence. So, my conscience remained clear. Just in case there was any local constabulary activity concerning the aforementioned hippie, I decided to stay overnight overnight at my mate Janet's house. Janet was a lesbian who could drink most blokes under the table and had a consistent approach to the police that she took very seriously. She always lied to them. If she saw a thief running east, she'd tell the cops he was running west. She'd provide false names for herself and her girlfriend at lesbian music concerts when questioned. And they did ask given her face tattoos <laughs> and other indications of being a malignant stain on humanity. If the coppers came sniffing about, she could be relied upon to send them off on a merry chase. She's a good woman. The next day, with no cops in sight, I organised a bunch of mates to wage a fireworks war on each other. This involved appropriating a bunch of illegal fireworks, going out into some wastelands and shooting at each other with the fireworks, in any way that caused maximum harm. After blasting some... Fireballs at various blokes dressed in camo, I took some cover to regroup. Our fighting landscape was covered in hills, which were the tailings from mid-19th century gold mines. I slowly made my way up to one of the larger hills and looked over the top. Well, bugger me if a particularly sad fuckwick named Stickland, aka Stick, was about 100 metres away, bent down by a stream, doing something unnatural like drinking the water. Part of our standard battle equipment was a piece of electrical conduit 
where you'd shove a skyrocket in, light it, cover the end, then whoosh, off the skyrocket would go towards your target. Totally inaccurate. You couldn't hit a barnyard door at 20 paces, but great fun to have a crack anyway. I pulled out my conduit, loaded and fired my rocket at stick. Since the dickhead was a good distance away, there was zero chance of actually hitting him. Gotta fucking try though, eh? I'll never forget watching my skyrocket going left and right up and down, leaving a long trail of smoke and finishing its journey by ploughing at full tilt into Stick's head just above his right eye. <laughs> he dropped like a stone into the water. Since I'd clearly killed Stick, it was all in slow motion as I scarpered down the side of the hill. When I got there, Pube and Piggy had already arrived and pulled Stick out of the water. Stick had a big wound on his forehead and was looking more than a little dead. Pube immediately blamed Piggy. Jesus, Piggy, what the fuck did you do that for? I didn't do anything, said Piggy. I was over in the trees and Dave was at the top of the hill, so obviously you killed Stick, says Pube. My mind leapt forward 20 years into the future. A new BBC series called Detective Pube is released. It would consist of 15-minute episodes where Detective Pube solves, solves seven or eight murders by walking in, arresting the first dumb cunt that he sees, and then moving on to solve the next crime. I'd definitely become, it had definitely become cult television. Since Stick was still looking pretty fucked, Pew, Piggy and I discussed CPR. Then as we looked at Stick, something stood out. On his top lip, he had a florid, flowering, seeping and weeping herpes cold sore. Uh, there is no way I'm giving CPR to this deceased animal, said Pew. This soon became our common view. It was vastly more preferable for Stick to die. Let's check his breathing, said Pew, pushing Piggy forward. Piggy obviously couldn't see any downside to this idea, so he tilted his head and went close to Stick's herpes-ridden mouth. That's when Pew pushed Piggy's head down onto Stick's face. Piggy's ear mushed right into the cold sore, absorbing all of the viral goodness contained therein. Unsurprisingly, Piggy began to scream. <laughs> Stick then suddenly spewed mostly water into Piggy's ear and over the rest of his face and had a massive coughing fit. The ongoing screaming and coughing was too much for even me to bear, so I'd already hoofed it and was halfway up the hill when I'd, that I'd previously come down. I collected my remaining explosive devices and headed home to make some bolt bombs to set off at the local tip the next day. It had been a great couple of days, and the day at the tip was looking to be just as good. Fuck, I love explosives. And don't we all, Dave? Super effort, that. I'm trying to recall whether or not I've ever set fire to a mate with fireworks. Uh, I recall one bloke in high school having a huge burn on his stomach having been shot with a 15-shooter during a similar war game. Uh, we used to have an annual burning of the pubes at the end of each footy season. And I recall having a, f a uh, fair fire going one year and Kenny taking to it with a fire extinguisher. Uh, incredibly... I was put in charge of lighting the bonfire at Big Nuts' joint one year. Uh, if there's one thing white blokes love, it's a fire. I was, however, having some difficulty getting the fire started, so I opted for the jerry can for the lawnmower. I uh, gave the 44-gallon uh, drum a fairly liberal shake with some petrol, then retrieved a box of matches and began flicking them from a distance, four or five yards. Uh, the first match went over the top, nothing. The next match went straight into the drum and still nothing. I walked closer to inspect and fucking wooshka. Uh, the drum had the bottom cut out of it and for the want of a better term, uh, the explosion <laughs> went 20 feet into the air and scorched the earth in a 20 foot circumference on the ground around the fire. 
Uh, I did get the fire started and nearly killed about 10 children in the process. Uh, For some unlikely reason, I thankfully had the sense to put the lid on the jerry can before I'd flicked the second match. Had I not done so, there's every chance that you might not be listening to this podcast. And I'd be being remembered far less fondly than I hope to be one day. Penny Bungers, they can make some noise. Our uh, our best mate Kenny, he lit one and dropped it right behind a coach and his team. <laughs> he was giving a three-quarter time speech one day. Oh, the fucking terror and the anger was so good. Uh, our, ma- our mad mate Jack Pissflap Island made one of those uh, PVC aerosol rockets one day and we took it to the park and shoved tennis balls in there, shot them into the air and tried to catch them. I reckon they easily went higher than 100 feet in the air i remember one misfiring or not firing and the idiot jack sticking his head over the barrel to see why it hadn't fired it was pretty much at that moment why i understood or when i understood why women live longer than men uh well, this other way it's not fire related but i remember my a mate of my brother's johnny buying a crossbow one day and taking it down to his local sports fields and just firing it into the air it went so high that he lost sight of it and thought he'd best retreat to safety under a tree. Uh, and eventually it did come down, landing about a foot behind a bloke, fielding it third man on an adjoining cricket field. <laughs> he cut him in half. Uh, this fieldman, though, he was none the wiser. And this mate of my brother's just waited till the change of overs ran onto the field, grabbed his arrow and fucked off. Jesus Christ, men are stupid. Fucking funny and very stupid we are. Listener Trelgan Tiger posed a question to me on Twitter this week. It's not often I'm asked for my opinion, probably because no one cares what I think and I just fucking give it anyway. Uh, So clearly I was salivating at the opportunity. Well, to be fair, uh, from the Tiger, it was more of a rhetorical question anyway, but that's okay. He asked or suggested, uh, the project, this show on television, is worse than Q&A. Uh, impossible. And then he sort of went on, nothing is worse than the shit Channel 10 broadcast in a primetime slot. By producing that rubbish, it's further proof that Channel 10 don't give a rat's toss bag about ratings. Uh, Clearly some people watch it. Tiger, not me. Even uh, when panel show favourite Luke Heggie is on, I just wait for him to send me a link of his segment only. I did watch it once a few years ago, and my initial thought was that if the reward for reaching the pinnacle of Australian journalism is appearing on a vapid tabloid commercial current affairs program, as it is claimed the sawn-off Lisa Wilkinson has, uh, being the pinnacle of Australian journalism, I'll settle for getting my intellectual stimulation from the Herald Sun or Daily Telegraph in that case. Uh, That simplistic slop on the project... Is to quality journalism what Ivan Milat was to hitchhiking? I don't know about the sort of ratings the show gets, but if people are inspired by and are forming their opinions after listening to that bunch of humorless, attention-seeking, smarmy bunch of fucks, then we're going to continue getting dumber by the day. It's basically breakfast television at night time. Uh, Q&A, it's not much better. I watched it a bit many years ago. Unsurprisingly, uh, my watching it coincided with the period of time that I was seriously mentally ill. It's fucking rubbish. Uh, the narrative set before the show begins. Its strengths are token diversity, virtue signalling, and having a contrarian redneck on. 
On the odd occasion when they do have a knowledgeable panellist, whatever they have to say is totally lost uh, among the excruciating monotony of fuckwitted, spineless politicians constantly repeating their insipid sound bites of utter shite, uh, no matter what they've been asked, hoping that the mantra that if you say something often enough, people will start to treat it as fact takes hold, in which case they've succeeded well because we just about believe anything. It's Q&A that initially inspired my total disregard for and dislike of politicians. Uh, Paul Keating, he scoffed at the notion of appearing on such a show, saying words to the effect of, I'd rather spend my time thinking than showboating on such a shit TV show. Obviously, Paul Keating said it way more eloquently than that, but he was fucking right too. If your hobby is journalism or current affairs and you're getting it from either of those shows, it's shit. The Miso finally has COVID. Been a bit rough for a few days now. At least when she goes to the States in a couple of weeks, she won't have to worry about the lurgy. Just the guns. <laughs> uh, been a bit quiet on the gigs for the next week or so. I'm somewhere in Engadine this Saturday night. Uh, the suburb of Sydney, southern suburb of Sydney, famous for ScoMo shitting his pants in. Uh, I won't be at the Maccas where he shat himself, nor will I be expecting to shit myself. But you never know. Uh, the most extraordinary episode of Mad Dogs to date comes out today. Uh, this week, Miko and I delve into the life of a bloke called Gigi Allen, one of the most truly bizarre punk rockers of all time, an absolute animal. Uh, and more importantly than him, uh, Mick and I both end up in tears <laughs> of laughter. Uh, please do get across and have a listen to that. And once again, thanks to all you listeners from pretty much all over the world, almost as many countries as are in the Commonwealth Games. And uh, please try to remember, whether you live in a Commonwealth country or not, your hobby is shit. Thanks for lending me your ears for another episode. All going well, I'll be back next week with current news and some harsh but fair critiques of more shit hobbies. You know where to find the podcast. Please subscribe to and share it, or don't. I'll be okay. You can find Your Hobby Is Shit on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Your feedback, suggestions and abuse are all greatly appreciated. And if you're, for example, the manufacturer of a great beer like, say, the Immortal Pale Ale, and you're looking to sponsor an enlightening podcast, I'm open to offers. Thanks again. I'm Sean Woodland, the host, writer, producer, editor and complaints handler at Your Hobby Is Shit. Your Hobby Is Shit will be undergoing some significant change over the next week or two. I'm only going to say positive things about hobbies. Uh, I'm going to either hemorrhage some losers or pick up some very, very shallow listeners. Stay tuned. And I didn't mean hemorrhage losers. I mean hemorrhage listeners. It's going to be a good challenge for me. Let's see if I'm up to it.